Welcome to Coach to Scale, how modern leaders build coaching cultures. I'm your host, Matt Benelli. Join me as we build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that effective coaching improves the performance of every team member. Our mission is to help leaders become better coaches. The Coach to Scale podcast is sponsored by Coachem, the world's first AI coaching execution platform that leverages evidence-based coaching to increase quota attainment. And with that, let's get started. All right, I'm excited to have this conversation with today's guest. As you'll see, he's uber committed to coaching and developing his people and has a phenomenal track record of doing just that. He spent his entire career in B2B technology sales. He's the VP of sales currently at Rocket Res. Sean Harvey, welcome to the show. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. You got it, man. Um, so, listen, this podcast is named Coach to Scale. And our mission here is to build a community of like-minded professionals who share the belief that coaching and developing of people is super important. It helps the individual, it helps the team, it helps the company grow, scale, and be successful. Um, now with that, Sean, let me toss the first question over to you. When you think about the importance of coaching, and that's what we're talking about, coaching. When you think about the importance of coaching and the impact it can have on a company's success, is that flow more bottom-up or top-down? Yeah, it's <clears throat> a great question. I, I, I assume that people, people can think about it differently. I've always thought about it as a top-down approach. Right? I think that uh, people go as their leaders go. Right, people take on the the um, the characteristics or the the style of their leaders, and for me, it's always worked best if it was something that we built in as part of our culture. It's who we are as a company. It's who we are as an executive team. It's what we believe in, uh, and then bring that down, cascade that messaging down, cascade that approach down. Uh, you know, through middle management down to the, the the frontline managers and the individual contributors. Where do, where do people sometimes maybe get that wrong, in, in your opinion? You mentioned it could go different ways, but where, where do organizations or leaders sometimes m misread that? Yeah, I think it's, listen, for me, when it's, when it's bought into at the top level, it, it typically has a better chance of staying, the, the staying power of it when, it's, when times get tough. Right, like other things are always going to come up. We always got end of quarter, end of month, end of year. Uh, you know, we got deals that are important. We have board meetings. We have all these things, and I, I just find that if it, if it's built in and part of the culture, it has a better chance of being focused on uh, at all times consistently. Like to me, consistency is key. If it's something that's fleeting, if it's something that you know, one day you you, you believe in it and you and you're going to let people have the time to do it. Let's say it's bottoms up. You're gonna let people have the time to do it, have the time to focus on it. But then when times get tough, you you stop allowing for that or you stop making it a priority. Uh, then it goes away, right? At that point, it's just not, you, you've, you've proven, you've shown your cards that it's not the most important thing in the world and it's not something that you're gonna prioritize uh, you know, through thick and thin. So for me, I, I like to try to build it in as part of the culture, but it takes a commitment, you know? it's. 
it's not easy. Right. And uh, it's it can't be just the flavor of the month or, you know, hey, it's really important this month and something else is really important next month because then it's the, you know, the reps are like, hey, this too shall pass. Right. It's not it's not really important. Smile and wave. Um, you've talked in the past about trust. Right. I mean, you talk about building any type of culture, especially a coaching culture uh, that, you know, we could agree uh, trust is important. Um, where does it fit in your mind? What's the relationship between trust and coaching? Yeah, huh. that's a that's a deep one. Uh, I could go on for a while on this one. It's a, a passion of mine. But I think ultimately, you know, you, you get in these positions and people innately assume that you have more knowledge or you have you know, you've been there, you've done that. But there still needs to be a trust, right? Like, I I want to make sure that people trust not necessarily in what i'm saying because there's a million ways like you know you, there's a million ways you could approach a deal uh you know position negotiate like there, there's not just one way think about all the methodologies that are out there right there i mean there, there's a bunch of things that work i don't need them to trust what i'm saying is is gold or is you know is the only way to do something there's there's a million methodologies out there from a sales perspective they're all they're all good like they all have their own reasons and philosophies and they're good. So I'm not asking people to trust that, uh, you know, my way is the only way or is the right way. What I'm, what I mean by that, what I'm asking them to do is trust that I have their best interest in mind. Right. And that I'm not asking them to do something that I wouldn't do or that I'm not comfortable doing, or that is going to be, you know, challenging for them just, just to challenge them. Right. I want them to trust that we're here to help them grow professionally. We're here to help them get better, not just for this company, not just for this deal, but for things in the future, for future roles, future deals, future situations. Um, and I find that if, if I can build trust with the team, with my management team, with the, with the frontline managers and the individual contributors, that they're more willing to, to engage, right? Like we role play. Role playing is awkward, right? I want them to trust <laughs> that this is a psychologically safe environment, right? You can mess up. Like, let's let's have fun with it. Let's mess up. Let's be awkward. I'll do it. I'll mess up. I'm not perfect. Um, but trust that it's a safe environment to where that's okay, right? And that's encouraged and, and you know, no one's going to get uh, looked down upon or, or made fun of for, for giving their effort and screwing up, right? Mm. That's the type of trust that I want to build. I don't need them to trust that, you know... Um, my way is perfect. I want them to trust that it's a it's an environment that we can we can grow together and we can help each other. You can grow together. You can fail in in order to do that, especially with role play, right? You, ha you have to be vulnerable. And I've heard you say that somewhere else. You talked about something that I wrote down as vulnerability based trust. Does that tie into what we're talking about here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's exactly this. This goes back to. Uh, to, to a couple companies ago, uh, I had the opportunity of working with uh, a private equity firm and, and going through a, a program, uh, the guy named Maurice Ducon, uh, great HR, human capital guy. And, and one of the things we spent a lot of time on together was this concept of vulnerability-based trust, uh, how to build it, how to, how to make it flourish in a team. And uh, I've, I've carried that on with me and, and been able to, to try to put that in play in a couple companies now. And what I've really found is that it 
it helps me build the foundation to to coach, to train, to develop, right? And that's not the that wasn't my original intent. Like my my thought wasn't, hey, I'm going to go build this trust so that uh, I can better coach people, right? My thought was, you know, I want to hire great people. I want to retain great talent. I want to build great teams. But what I realized was, this is pretty fundamental in order to me and my organization to have a group of people who are willing to embrace this, who are willing to get uncomfortable, uh, willing to try. You know, when we're doing trainings, they're willing to to raise their hand and be the first one mm-hmm, to, mm-hmm. you know, work on their pitch or, or or role play and things like that because they feel safe around their peers. They feel safe around their management team. They feel safe around me. Right? They don't. They know it's not an environment where if they go out and screw up or fail, either in a coaching situation or in a live, like in a deal, that uh, that's not gonna be held against them, right? Like trying, giving effort, failing, that's okay. That's part of who we are, right? Like I'm a baseball guy. So, uh, you know, I, you fail seven out of 10 times when you're when you're at the plate and you go to the Hall of Fame. Hall of Famer, yeah. Right, yeah. And I, I, I see sales as the same way. Like no one has a 100% close rate over the course of their career. That's And if they tell you that, they're lying. You know, so you're going to fail a lot. You're going to hear no a lot. And I want to make sure that's part of who we are as an organization where we're okay with that um, and we're comfortable with it and, and no one's going to get looked at, looked down upon or... Uh, you know, that's not going to be frowned upon. It has to be part of it. We have to embrace it. I I love the baseball analogy, the seven out of 10 failing and you go to the hall of fame, you know, eight out of 10 fail, you're still making millions of dollars. It's not a bad gig if you can, if you can hit a baseball, Uh, hardest thing in the world, they say. Uh, But look, everything we're talking about here, let's face it. It's, it's not easy. It's the long game. So building a coaching culture, getting people to feel comfortable stepping up and failing, that doesn't happen overnight. Why is it worth it? Why is the juice worth the squeeze? Yeah, this is a, a, a lesson that was, was certainly learned uh, and not learned the easy way. We've all been in that situation, I think, where you know, you're, you're getting to the end of the quarter and you're scrambling, right? And then you're the next thing you do is go pull next month's or next quarter's pipeline forward and see what you can close. And you just aggressively discount it to get it in. Like we, we've all been there. We have goals, we have things we need to hit. And uh, ultimately what, it, like it, to me, it's always made it harder, right? Like then you or then you wake up the next morning, guess what? Scoreboard's reset, we got to start over. And oh, by the way, you just demolished your pipeline, uh, you know, to, to be successful yesterday. And so that, that, those learnings have given me the perspective of, of playing more of the long game, right? And um, I didn't love that as a rep. And then so when I got to management role, it was, okay, we're going to, let's focus on today and let's be as successful and as great as we can be today. But let's also make sure that we're setting ourselves up uh, for next month, next quarter, next year. And part of the way to do that is, in my eyes, is is to coach, is to train. Like I, I want to teach people how to prospect, how to message, uh, you know, how to focus on the deals. And, and, and for me, uh, the toughest part is it's having restraint because yeah, I have goals I need to hit. I have a board I have to go, you know, report to. And it's right. not that I want to miss the number. I don't want to miss the number, but I also don't want to sacrifice someone's, you know, future or growth. Like 
it's a people business to me. That's what it comes down to. And the deals are the deals. We can go find more. Yeah, we might have to work harder. We might have to make more phone calls or prospect a little bit more. Um, but it's a people business. And I want to invest in them. And I've found that by doing that, um, turns out it, it pays dividends uh, to the bottom line as well. Right. You know, you're talking about not saving someone, you know, if they're perhaps not doing it the way you or, or the manager would want them to do it. Uh, there's a saying I picked up along the way, um, you know, save the deal, not the person, right? If, if you really have, if it's really sending the deal sideways, maybe you got to jump in. But if it's just messing up the call a little bit, there's probably more to learn from that uh, by, by letting them uh, struggle and, and kind of debrief after that. And so, uh, when you think about it that way, I think what you're saying is uh, every opportunity, uh, every interaction is a coaching opportunity, uh, which is, which is pretty cool. I could, not easy though, right? So where do managers, where do leaders learn this? Did great coaches in, in your opinion, benefit from working under other great coaches? Is that where they learned it? Yeah, I mean, again, I hate to be the the prototypical sports guy, but like, there's coaching trees, right? Like we see it with with Belichick, we see it with Nick Saban, like, and and quite frankly, like, you see a lot of very high, highly compensated Division One college football coaches. They get fired or they leave a job and they go take a free roll under Nick Saban, right? Like that's mm-hmm. that's a path people take now because there's always more to learn. There's always and, and uh, great coaches do, in my opinion, learn from other great coaches. I think that, um, you know, it's, it's helpful to see others uh, put coaching into play, put development into play, and then be successful, right? Because to me, you know, early on, it was, we got to get the deals, we got to get the deals, we got to get the deals. And even my first management role was, hey, Sean, we're putting you in this management role because we want your hand on more deals. Like, it wasn't, hey, we want you to help grow the people. We want you to help right. develop the people. It was we want you to be involved in more deals. And so now you have four reps, five reps and go close their deals for them. Right. Oh, and by the way, and by the way, today, now it's, uh, you know, 12 reps, 10 reps, you know, it's something like that. And, you know, you put your, you know, your superhero cape on and, and step out of the way. Let me, let me show you how it's done. So that's a really good segue, like deals, right? Uh, deals, 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 uh, Frontline managers like that that we speak to on a consistent basis, and oftentimes the entire leadership chain of command itself, it can be myopically focused on the deal. What would you say to managers who over-index too much toward focusing just on deals? Yeah, um, I think it's a it's a short-sighted way to to look at it, and I think what you're going to find. Uh, if you continue to do that in the long term, that you're you're constantly scrambling, right? You're constantly, um, you know, trying to reel in deals and and solve for today, but you haven't solved for the long term, right? Like you need to, to your point. You know, you got twelve reps. Go close the deals. What if I just invested the time and energy to coach the twelve reps? One, we're going to find more deals. We're going to build more pipeline and then they're going to close more. And then I have, you know, maybe I can focus on the top 10% and maybe those deals become bigger, better, faster, whatever it may be. I just think that the, you're constantly chasing your tail, like, and you're constantly going to, um, you know, be behind the eight ball and stressed. And, and you might, you're going to have 
certainly I'm not saying you're going to fail. Like you're going to have big quarters. You're going to have big years and make a ton of money. Uh, but then you, the next year might be down. Like you get a lot of these, these peaks and valleys, I feel like, instead of the consistent flow. Hmm. Okay. And, and speaking with a lot of C-level executives, uh, board members, uh, you know, investment firms these days, it's all about predictability. Right. It's it's all about reducing that volatility, the roller coaster ride that is our business in sales. But, you know, the pressure is real. The struggle is real, as they say. It, a lot of uh, frontline managers will say, my, you know, my CRO, you know, all all they care about is the deal. And, and, you know, you talk to some senior leaders and they'll say, all the board cares about is the deals. All the CEO cares about is the deals. That may, be, may or may not be true, but. What's your, you're, you've been in the C-suite, you've been in these board meetings. Is that all they care about? I, no. Like, uh, it's, again, it's an easy way to look at it. I think it's a little bit of a cop-out. But um, the, what I wrote down while you said predictability, I think the bigger thing nowadays, especially with the economic climate we've been in, uh, from a fundraising perspective, from a, from a capital injection perspective over the last couple of years, it's, predictability is important, but I think scalability is probably the, the word I would go to first. Um, and I think for years, especially on the, the venture capital side of the world, we've confused what scalability means. Like it, it just became a buzzword. And, you know, it's like mm. you hear a lot of people say, hey, I scaled the business from 50, you know, from 20 reps to 120 reps. That's not scale. Like, in my opinion, that's just spend. Like you, you spent a lot more money, you brought in a lot of people. What I want to know- is that, because the pro- is that because productivity goes down? Right, so the, the number of reps is there, but the productivity per that rep is not the, is not the same. Correct. Is that what you mean? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and the only way to get more revenue or get more money is to add more people, right? And so your gross margins potentially change, like your operating expenses certainly change. Um, and so to me, what scalability needs to be is, tell me how you, so you went 20 reps to 50 reps and increased revenue by 10 million. That's, that's great. What I'd really like to see is you go from 20 reps to 20 reps and still increase the revenue by 10 million. Like, how do you do more with less? How do you, and you're seeing it shift a little bit, especially since like, again, the, the, the fundraising landscape has changed a little bit. I think private equity is becoming more and more of a power player. Not that they weren't before they they own the world, but, um, that model, right? Like, hey, we're going to burn less. We're going to be more productive. We're going to look at roll of 40. We're going to look at our rep productivity and, and return on investment, things of that nature. Instead of having 30 reps, 40 reps, get the 10 best reps that you can find, coach the hell out of them, and they can be more productive than, you know, 30 average reps that, that you don't invest in, in my opinion. It's that scale, you know? So, so look, um, the climate that we're in these days, there, there is an, the, there is an economic headwind companies, um, are being forced to do more with less, um, which has, means a lot of very difficult conversations. I think you're starting to touch on it, but how does an organization do more with less? How does that manager, that, that leader who unfortunately had to let go of some, valuable members of their team but yet the guess what the number doesn't go down it, it it's it's harder like it's literally do you know doing more 
with less, with fewer, with fewer reps. How do you do that? Yeah. Um, it's an unfortunate situation today that like a lot of people have been let go, right? There's been a ton of reduction of force because, um, we had, we had tailwinds, we had capital, we had a lot of, we had a lot of that, uh, you know, stuff behind us and it was easy to just go scale and scale and hire more people. Um, I think what has to happen now is two things. One, you, you've, you invest in the people, you invest in the coaching and development. Like, I, like I said before, I, I truly believe that if you take great talent, if you take people that have uh, the things that are coachable, right? Effort, focus, determination, uh, and you have people with those qualities and then you invest in them from a coaching perspective, a methodology perspective, uh, you know, how to prospect, how to message and, and allow them to be more effective and more efficient. Uh, one, you're probably going to see more consistent and long-term results. Two, I think you'll see better retention, right? Because uh, whether we like to believe it or not, people who feel that uh, they're in a safe space where they're being invested in, they're being taught, they're being coached, that's what they yearn for. Like That's what they want. And, and so they'll stick around even when other opportunities uh, maybe come up. So I think that's that's a secondary benefit. And then, you know, Third, I, I think the more the more uh, knowledge and skills that you've you've injected or invested in your people, um, the deals are probably going to be better, right? Like you're going to find better deals, bigger deals. They're going to close quicker. You're going to have them for you know contract values that are much higher, uh, and those type of things really change the trajectory or investability of a business, right? If you can. De, you know, increase your gross margins, increase your contract value, the the average terms of the contract. Like these are things that make businesses attractive. Uh, and then, you know, you can go get that investment because yeah. you're going to look better than than the 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 other option. Uh, I, there's just so many there's so many things that make it worth it. Hi, yeah, higher quality revenue uh, means a lot to uh, potential investors. Um, great. Well, listen, um, let's pivot a little bit. Uh, this is great stuff. Let's segue um, and learn a little bit about a little bit more about you, uh, Sean Harvey. Uh, you talk a lot about the importance of building leadership teams that are that are committed to coaching and developing people and learning from each other, right? I took that as a direct quote. Um, I pulled that somewhere doing, doing my research. Committed to coaching, developing people, and learning from each other. Can you talk about your career journey, where you started, kind of where you went along the way, and its influence on, on your value system and what you learned? Yes, absolutely. So uh, I started my career uh, at Oracle, and it was, you know, after grad school was a... Uh, it was an eye-opening experience. Uh, walked into a room uh, on day one with with twelve other people, and the first two weeks were just coaching. And it wasn't product coaching. It wasn't you know training on what a database is because I still don't know what it is. Uh, it was uh, you know it was all coaching, sales coaching. You know here's how we prospect. Here's how to you know here's some tips and tricks. Here's you know all the all the different coaching things, and. It was it was one of the better things I've ever done in my life. Certainly one of the best things that have ever happened in my career. And a part of me knew that's what I wanted, right? And it was why I, I chose that role because I knew there was an investment in in the people. Um, but as I got you know left Oracle and got to different companies and saw how that paid off for me and how far you know 
I don't want to I'm not sound egotistic, like how far ahead of, of of folks who didn't get that potentially was from a from a methodology perspective. Um, I realized it was something that I wanted to bring. You know, if I had the chance to lead an organization, it was something I wanted to bring, uh, bring to the table, help people grow their careers, and invest in them. Um, I've joined a couple different companies since then. Axiant, uh, I was chief revenue officer at Mobile Tech RX, and and then uh, VP of sales at Samcar before this most recent role. And there's been some great people that I've come in contact with along the way, and I've had been lucky enough to have mentors that have been willing to invest in me. And you know, the, the what I tell people all the time is, uh, one of one of my mentors early on, you know, gave all the time and energy to anything I wanted to talk about or learn. And the the the, the terrible part about it was we always had the conversation of like, hey, I'm so thankful that you're doing this for me, uh, and I'd love to work with you again, but you're making it, you know, we're making it so we can never work together again. Right. Because what do you mean? Yeah. So like, we're going to eventually start going for the same jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Like he, he was putting so much effort and energy into helping me up level my career and get me in, help me get into positions or be qualified enough or or skilled enough to get into positions that, you know, the VP level that it's some, there's only so many people that can lead sales in a company, you know? And so unfortunately we've never been able to work together again, but that was, that was part of what we, you know, what we talked about early on. And, uh, again, that the level of investment and, and, uh, and, and mentorship I've had along the way from all sorts of people, uh, really has been what has got me to where I, where I am. And I feel the need to, to pay that back and pay that forward. Uh, not only in the professional world of like, Hey, this is how I'm going to coach and train my, my people and build, build a team, build a culture around it. But even outside of that, like, how can I help, um, uh, others become better and and you know use some of these skills and hopefully bring this uh, bring this into their organizations and and you know help them and their people. Well, you certainly do, you certainly have done that. Uh, you know the Latin phrase I think is uh, "acta non verba," actions not words, and you certainly have a reputation for doing just that. And you know you talked before about the coaching tree. And, you know, you, know, you could probably think of many examples where the per- person at the top of that coaching tree ultimately finds themselves competing for a job against people that they've uh, mentored along the way that, you know, worked underneath them and studied underneath them, both in sports uh, and in, in business. And another thing you also touched on there, Sean, is that, uh, yeah, great coaches have the benefit of working under other great coaches, right? We, we, I asked you that question in the past, like recently, and then you just came back and, and touched on it again. So super, super helpful. Um, so you told us a little bit about your, your journey line um, from you know, Oracle to Axiant to um, Mobile Tech RX, Samcart uh, over the years, and now uh, heading sales up at Rocket Res. What drew you to Rocket Res? What can, where do you think you can add value? You know, what, what drew you there? So there's a couple things uh, right off the top, right? The leadership team there is great, right? They had just taken a uh, round of funding from Level Equity. That was certainly part of my hard by decision, right? I wanted, I wanted to, to be with those folks. Uh, there was, there was you know, some talent at Le- Level Equity that I uh, got to talk to early on that I really felt like we were, uh, we were aligned on our approach and, and uh, I love what they're doing and, and the way that they 
uh, operate their firm. But the leadership team at Rocket Res uh, was was great from Jump Street, right? We knew I, I knew right off the bat that you know C- the founder John and, and CFO Cam, like we were aligned, like philosophically aligned as to what we needed to do, what what the team needed, you know, uh, our thoughts on how to grow, you know, build a great culture, build great people, invest, uh, you know, have a safe safe trusting space for for people to flourish, and um, yeah, these the, these situations aren't the easiest situations, right? New, new yeah. money injected in like a whole new set of goals for a business that, you know, maybe was a, was, you know, a smaller business or a lifestyle business. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. they're taking the next step. And, uh, there's a lot of people that like, when you're that small, you're scrambling for every deal, right? It is deal, deal, deal. And you will do a lot of unnatural things to get those deals. Um, and, and what you typically don't, <clears throat> excuse me, don't have a lot of time to do and, and have capital to do is invest in the people. Um, and with that now being, uh, you know, with the capital piece now being taken care of, there was a philosophical alignment of, hey, this is, you know, this is what we want to do. We, we, we do want to invest in the people. We do want to build great teams. So that's something you you have conversations with before you you join, right? It's hey, are we philosophically aligned? I think coaching and developing people is important. Do you like you? Uh, basically, yeah, you know, felt them out for that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, listen, I, I don't. Um, I love adapting. I love changing. I love learning new things and, and developing myself. But this is one of those areas that I feel passionate about enough to mm-hmm. where you know, if it doesn't fit with the the culture and the style uh, of the organization, I don't want to fight against them, right? And it's not that it's wrong. Like everyone, they have their own, right, you right. know, might have their own opinion on how they like to do things. That's okay. It's not wrong. Uh, but it might just not be a great alignment for me. Uh, and so, yeah, I've, I feel it out early on because I want to make sure that the things that I can bring to the table and my approach to building a sales team, scaling a sales team, growing, you know, growing a business and a revenue department is... Um, yeah, is is in alignment with what they want. That I feel like that's how it works best. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, Rocket Res, uh, not just a cool name, uh, but you t- you've talked a lot about the the great people that are there um, and the the culture that you're going to c- continue to build upon. Um, but what does Rocket Res do? Who 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 are your ideal clients? Yeah. First of all, I'll touch on the name. Uh, it's awesome. There's nothing better. You know, every software company in the in the in the world calls themselves a rocket ship. Not every company can have a rocket ship as their logo. Uh, so we're, we're, we're good there. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting, uh, interesting vertical that we play in. Uh, we're an all-in-one ticketing platform for tours and attractions, really. So think about um, zoos, aquariums, immersive experiences, um, museums, right? These boat tours, ferries, things of that nature. Uh, that's really the industry we, we, we play well in. So um, I'm in Park City, Utah. I go to, let's say, a museum down in Old Town. Like, what, what could that museum be doing that, would, that could leverage Rocket Res? Help, help us understand that. Yeah. Uh, so first of all, you buy a ticket to this museum, either online or, or in person, maybe a kiosk, maybe a ticket booth. Um, that, that could be Rocket Res, right? That ticketing platform, mm-hmm. um, that experience, not only just buying the ticket, but maybe you buy, um, maybe there's an upsell on it, right? When you, you go in and buy the ticket and then you buy the, 
you know, this show. Hey, I want to I want to watch the show on X, Y, or Z at mm-hmm. you know two thirty. Uh, so all of that can be handled by Rocket Res. And then you're there, uh, and maybe there's food and beverage. Maybe there's a cafe. Uh, we certainly handle that gift shop, right? Like the retail side of it. Maybe you're buying a T-shirt or a you know uh, something for your kids. That side of it can be handled uh, by Rocket Res, the retail transactions, as well as the inventory management. Uh, that's all, okay. yeah, all, like all in one couple. There's, there's, it, it's powerful. It does yeah. a lot, and it, it, for for these museums, these tours, these attractions, um, can really handle almost everything they need uh, from a from a business perspective. Excellent, yeah, cool, and uh, no sh- no shortage of uh, potential clients um, for you know or, uh, across the fruited plain. Um, piv- pivoting a little bit back. Um, we've been talking about coaching for uh, a good a good time here. Can you 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 hinted at it, but can you tell us about a time where you benefited from really good coaching in your mind? Yeah, um, I'll give you a, a, a little bit of a kind of an on the job one uh, that comes to mind. I was we were we were constantly coaching and training at uh, certain points and times in my in my career. Uh, and one, one stands out, right? Like we were, we were a Sandler shop, uh, at, at Axiant. Uh, we were, we were constantly, it was constantly being reinforced, right? I remember vividly, we'd, we'd walk into our Monday morning sales meeting and, uh, and the VP at the time would first slide in the slide deck was a, a Sandler rules, right? And we'd talk about it. We'd, we'd role play it, do the whole nine yards. Uh, but there were still certain points where I, I wasn't fully bought into using it. Right, and then the negative reverse is one of them. Right, like, it, it, and there was a time when I don't know that I was fully bought into the idea of I'm, I'm financially independent and I don't need the business. Uh, I want it, but I don't need it. And so we were sitting. I remember I was sitting in my boss's office and um, on the phone with a customer. Big deal. Like the difference between me hitting my number, the difference between the company hitting our number that quarter, uh, and we're just going back and forth. So we're just banging our head against the wall on this one and. He puts the phone on mute and he's like, I'm taking the deal off the table. Like we're strip lining this thing, negative reversing it, whatever you want to call it. Like we're taking it off the table. And I'm like, no, no. Like I just had my first kid. I can't afford to take this off the bike. We have to have this deal. He's like, we're doing it. Puts it back on. They you know, takes it off mute, <clears throat> takes the deal off the table, throws it back on mute. The guy starts selling himself. So, so when you say, when you say taking the deal off the table, wh- I know what you mean, but what do you mean? Yeah. Like, I don't know exactly what we, what we said at the time, but we're just like, Hey, you know, Steve, um, sounds like we're too far apart. Like maybe it doesn't make sense to do this now or, or ever. Like, I think we should just part ways as friends and, and you know, if we need to revisit in the future or we'll revisit in the future and then just throws it on mute and the guy just no, 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 no. We can get it done. We'll get it done right now. We're just, this is the one piece that I need, right? Like, it completely starts convincing works. you guys. He yeah. Starts like, set, yeah. Textbook, right? Te- textbook. Uh, and, and that was the moment where I'm like, okay, like, I just saw it. I saw it work. Like, I'm a believer, right? Like, let's, mm. let's go do this. And again, that was a, it was a trial by fire, right? Like we were coaching in the moment, coaching on the deal. And it wasn't like, I don't even think the pure intent was to coach me on anything. The intent was to get the deal uh, and follow the methodology. But because it was constantly coached on every week, 
every quarter. Like we were, we were believers in this and we did it. Um, but then to see it, see it work and see it work in like, in a big way, um, was a moment where I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be skeptical, you know, about this anymore. It might not work every time, but we're going to, I'm going to use it and I'm going to commit to it and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to do it. And, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a moment I won't forget. Hmm. Seeing, seeing is believing. That's right. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, so that example there and the example that you gave about your mentor who you felt coached you so well to the point where you, you, you joked about competing with that person for, for jobs. And I've heard you say something in the past about the culture of like, we want to invest in you and train you so that you could go anywhere. Uh, well, finish that sentence. I, I can't remember exactly what it is, but can you finish that? I thought it was powerful. Yeah, I, I think it was like, uh, I want to say it was Richard Branson who, who potentially at first saw this, but it was some version. Sure, he of got it from you, but anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah sir course, Richard yeah. Branson, he, yeah. He credits me when he does podcasts yes. for sure. Uh, oh yeah, sir Richard Branson, sorry about that. Uh, yeah, it was something to the tune of like, hey, we want to we train people so well and, and so deeply that they can leave anytime they want, right? They're attractive to other companies. Like they can go get all the things that they want in the world, um, but they don't want to, right? Like I think his was like, treat, but treat them so well that they never want to leave, right? And to me, that's, it's train them so well that they can, they can leave and walk out the door, um, but they never want to because they can't get what, what you're able to provide them uh, in other areas. And really that's what I've, you know, that's what I've tried to, that even when I start teams, right? Even when I join companies, like, hey, we're gonna we're gonna grow professionally. I'm gonna help you do that. And if that's in sales, awesome. If it's not, no problem. Like, I just want to help you be better in whatever the areas are that you want to get better at. And I want you to look back on this. Like, these are transactional experiences, right? Like, people aren't staying at companies for 30, 40 years anymore. Um, where we're, we bounce a little bit more, like it's more transactional in my opinion. And I want people to always look back on time spent at any company that I've been at and feel like, and that was, yeah. that was of great value to me. Like had a blast, learned a ton, you know, and I don't need them to like me. I want them to respect the fact that I'm willing to invest in them and my team's willing to invest in them, but I want them to feel like there was value, both immediate value in terms of making money, having a great experience, being a part of a great team, but also long-term value in that they gained, a, they gained something from the experience that has helped them, you know, from a compounding interest perspective to make more money, be, be better, you know, reach the goals that they want to, they want to reach personally or professionally. Wow. Uh, great stuff. Um, before we start to wrap up here, uh, Sean, any final thoughts for the managers out there at, at all levels that are just grinding every day and trying to figure it all out, especially this coaching thing. Yeah. <clears throat> it's, I mean, and it's not a, it's not an easy environment right now. Uh, there's, there's certainly been easier times in, in software sales in particular. Uh, so my, my, my advice is don't, don't sacrifice the future for the now, right? Like understand what the, the long game is. Be willing to invest in people, in process, in coaching, in development, right? Like there are, we so often think 
as we talked about before about the deal, like got to get this deal. We got to hit this number. There's so many other factors that investors care about, boards care about. We get so wrapped up from a, from a sales perspective that we got to get this deal and we got to hit this number. There's, there's other great things that you can be doing even either right now to make the company more attractive, to make the financials better, whatever it may be, or in the future. And I think that the, the biggest piece of advice is just don't get so focused on the now that you, you, you know, sacrifice the future to, to be successful today. Invest in your people, coach them, develop them. Like it, it's, it will, it will make your life, uh, one more fulfilling to see people grow and develop and do great things. And then two, um, it'll, it'll provide a, a more consistent experience for you as a sales manager, as a leader, uh, less peaks and valley, right? R less, less, uh, you know, crazy ends of the quarter where you're just so stressed that you, you know, you, you, you can't, you can't even sit down. You're just pacing back and forth across your office. Like it, it provides a more consistent and better experience for everyone. Uh, excellent. Well, Sean, listen, um, learned so much today. Uh, we talked about things like uh, vulnerability-based coaching. We talked about things like, you know, pivoting. Is it predictability, you know, or, or scalability? And then, you know, the kind of the last thing we've been talking about is, is the notion of investing in people and developing so much that they could go anywhere, but that they don't want to. Uh, powerful, powerful stuff. Um, I would imagine based on what we talked about, there's uh, there's companies, there's people working at companies that say, hey, that Rocket Res thing sounds really cool. I, I want to learn more about Rocket Res. Or, hey, I want to I work for this person, uh, Sean Harvey. How do people get in touch with you? Yeah. So, uh, first of all, uh, obviously on LinkedIn, you can find me on there. Uh, our, our website, pretty straightforward, Rocket Res, Rocket R-E-Z, uh, all one word, dot com. Uh, and then if you, if you want to contact me directly, it's just sean.rv at rocketres.com. All right. Um, Sean, we're going to leave it right there. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Really enjoyed the conversation today. Awesome. Thanks for having me, Matt. All right. Um, and thank you all out there for listening. If you learned something today or you laughed a little bit, tell someone about the podcast, Coach to Scale. Again, Sean, really, sincerely, thank you. It's been my pleasure to host this conversation on behalf of Coach to Scale. See you next time. And until then, coach them if you want to keep them. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Coach to Scale, How Modern Leaders Build Coaching Cultures. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at coachem.io. That's C-O-A-C-H-E-M dot I-O. And follow us on Twitter at Coachem Now. See you all next week. Thanks for joining. And remember, coach them if you want to keep them. <laughs>